Well, good morning. All righty. Well, we are glad you guys could make it here with us this morning. If you don't know me, uh, my name is John Mark. I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders here at Christ Church. Uh, hard to believe uh, we are finishing up the book of First Timothy. Uh, two sermons left, this one and then next week, and then we will be all done. Uh, it's been an encouraging book for me. Uh, personally, as kind of a, a new pastor here um, to walk through this um, and journey through this text, and I hope you guys have found it just as encouraging. But like I said, we have two weeks left, so what we're going to do right now is uh, dive into the last chapter. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16 is where we're going to be this morning. So let's dive in and then let's pray. <clears throat> the word of the Lord says this, but as for you... O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep, this command, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we open it once again this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. Let us see our sinfulness and our need for you. Let us see your goodness and learn more of you. Father, let us be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we, we're journeying through the, the book of 1 Timothy, and just for the sake of being new or maybe the fact that you've slept since last Sunday, I just re quickly want to um, provide some context about what we just read. So to put it in context for you, what you see is Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his protege, right? Uh, he calls him at the beginning of, of the text his true child in the faith, and that's what he calls him in chapter 1. He, he, uh, Timothy was to remain in the city of Ephesus to continue the work that Paul had left off there. And so uh, he was there doing this work. He was building and strengthening the church of God in Ephesus. And as you recall from what we've learned, Paul was specifically writing this letter to Timothy to uh, address these difficult issues that had arisen concerning specifically um, these false teachers in the church in Ephesus who were causing confusion and leading people astray. Paul had spent the entire letter up until this point comparing Timothy's call over and against the teachings of these false teachers. And now we reach this last chapter and these last few verses, right, of this letter, and you can feel kind of the, the cadence 
of his words begin to build speed. Can't you feel that? Just this, this increased heart rate and rhythm. Paul is trying to say a lot in a short time. He's trying to get out his, his last few words of wisdom before his letter ends. Maybe Paul is even writing you know, from, from chains uh, and imprisoned the sense that he could maybe be writing his, his last few words to Timothy. Um, and he wanted to, to make sure Timothy knew what he was to be about. And so when we, we read these texts, you can, you can almost hear it. It's like, it's like the last things, right? A parent tells um, a teenager before they leave the house alone or before they let them drive off for the first time, right, in the family car. You can hear that sense of urgency in these hurried instructions, these last-minute reminders. You know, the don't forget to, to come to a complete stop at the stop sign. You know, don't, don't forget to, to look both ways when crossing the street or, or watch out for other drivers. I trust you, but just the other drivers on the road I worry about. You know, those kind of, those kind of last-minute hurried instructions, that's what we're seeing from Paul here is this, this sense of, of urgency. Paul is like a concerned parent for his true child in the faith, a, a concerned mentor, friend, telling Timothy these things with this same sense of urgency, something like my time left is short in this letter and perhaps in this earthly life, and I want you to be aware. And so he begins to use these right words, right? Look at these words he uses, these, these verbs that are kind of rapid fire shot at, at Timothy and us. It's flee, pursue, fight, take hold, keep. In these closing statements to Timothy, it's clearly a call for, for action is what we see laid out here. And so if we dive back into verse 11, look at how Paul addresses Timothy, right? He says this, but as for you, O man of God. Paul does not address Timothy as a child in the faith like he did in the beginning of this letter. He does not even address him by name like he does in just a few verses down in verse 20. He does not address him as student nor friend, but instead makes this change in addressing Timothy in this manner as man of God. But as for you, O man of God, what a title, right? If it were the Old Testament, this would put him in the likes of David, of Moses, of Samuel, of Elijah and Elisha, as well as many other prophets. And in the New Testament, man of God has more, um, is more so any man who is equipped for every good work, right? That's what Paul says later um, in the next letter to Timothy. But you see, this title has, has less to do with a comparison of Timothy to Old Testament prophets and patriarchs and more to do with a comparison of Timothy and these false teachers because, as I said at the beginning and at the, the core of this letter, is, is um, putting Timothy in right context and in the right frame of mind against these teachings of these false teachers. And so this is more to do with the comparison of the false teachers to Timothy. He is to be a man of God, right? And to stand in contrast to these false teachers who are, as Paul points out from the, the text we read last week, these men are conceited, 
with unhealthy cravings, quarrelsome, slanderous, depraved in mind and deprived of truth. Timothy Timothy is to instead stand in contrast to these men of the world as a man of God. He says, but as for you, O man of God, that is to say, but you, you, Timothy, must be radically different from these men of the world. And brothers and sisters, if if we go no further, right, if we just, if you just had this set up, hear it. Paul is addressing Timothy as as a pastor of the church, right, the pastor of this church in Ephesus, but that doesn't mean that he is not also addressing us. We are called to be men and women of God, called to faith in godliness and love, to bear fruit and to bear the fruit of the Spirit that is at work in our lives. So as we read this this morning, right, don't check out and say, okay, he's addressing this particular pastor, this man of God. No, no, he is, he is addressing him, but also addressing us. Do not check out and do on this and say, it doesn't pertain to me, because it absolutely does. It pertains to all who are in Christ. We are to be different from those that love the world and love the things of the world. And so don't check out and instead take heed of this, because it is for you. He says again, but as for you, O man of God, this is your calling, Christ Church. And he says, men of God, the man of God is to be different from these quarrelsome, slanderous, covetous men of the world. So let's move on. What does, what does a man of God look like? Let's press on in verse 11. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. What things? Well, the things covered in last week's sermons, right? Uh, uh, Simply put, if if you look back at verses 3 through 6 and verse 10, you can see it. It means all of these things, right? These false teachers, what they were and what they were about. This conceit, controversy, dissension, slanderousness, covetousness, covetousness, that's a word, that confu- those who, who confuse gain and godliness and so doing allow all kinds of evil. In short, he is saying that we are to flee anything that is not compatible with the goodness and love of Jesus Christ. But this action to flee, think about the urgency in this. Flee, not merely to avoid or ignore Right, but to flee. There's nothing casual or c'est la vie about it. Fleeing has this sense of urgency, right? This recognition of danger and the need to remove oneself from it. The word actually is where we get this word in, in Greek is where we get our word for fugitive, Right? There's, a, there's a vivid word picture for you, right? We are to flee like a fugitive on the run. It's this ongoing idea. A fugitive never stops because he never lacks this sense of urgency. urgency. Our, our whole lives are to be on the run as a fugitive from sinfulness. And think about every time you hear the word flee used. Right, this weekend I typed flee into Google on Google News just to see, okay, what will 
it return? Here were some of the headlines that, that uh, appeared, and listen to the sense of urgency even in these headlines. Fires forced Californians to flee homes, or refugees forced to flee as fighting intensifies. Or again, villagers flee from, for their lives as Pakistan, Pakistan's flooding continues. And so you see, brothers and sisters, there's a nonstop urgency in fleeing. And Paul is reminding Timothy that a man of God flees from sinful, ungodly behavior. We are to get away from it as fast as we can, as far as we can. There is nothing casual about fleeing. There is no planning ahead like it's a dentist appointment you're not looking forward to, right? Like Tuesday at 3.30? I can't. I've got to flee from sin on that day. How about at you know, 4.30? i got some free time there. It, it's, sin is, is dangerous. It needs to be fled from. Sin is dangerous. It will wreck you. Too often we are too casual with sin, looking too closely, staying too long around it, treating it like it doesn't have teeth. But understand that if you don't flee from sin, what Paul is saying is if you don't flee from sin, you will be like Paul described in those that Paul described in verse 10, right? Who were so careless with sin that it says that some have wandered away from the faith, right? And pierced themselves with many pangs. And so we are to flee from sin, But it is not just that we flee from something. We are to follow after something. Look how he continues. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. It is not enough to run from something, but there must be a direction that you are running. It will not do to flee from a flood, but run to the river. If there is urgency in our fleeing, there is also purpose and direction in our pursuit. In this word, just just like flee, both of these words are used in the, the present tense, meaning this is ongoing, daily, never stopping. We are called to be fugitives from sin, daily running from it, and also daily pursuing and running after all that is righteous. It is to be a lifelong pursuit. And this is not something engineered by Paul, right? He's not coming up with some clever, um, isolated event to encourage Timothy. This is echoed throughout Scripture. Jot down, if you will, you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs 15, 9, which ends with saying, the Lord loves those that pursue righteousness. Proverbs 15, 9, and it goes on. Countless places in, in Scripture you see this. You see what's happening here is Paul is reminding us that the man of God is to be known by what he pursues after, as well as what he flees from. And to do that, he gives us six characteristics of of a, a man of God, pursuing after righteousness and godliness, faith and love, steadfastness and gentleness. Righteousness here. Pursuing after righteousness is, is dealing with our, our outward actions. We are called to pursue righteousness in all that we do. Whereas the false teachers were not righteous. 
You see over and again what they were doing. They were not righteous nor just in their dealings with people, right? In the verses previous, it said they quarreled and lied and created friction and dissension among the people, and they slandered one another. There was nothing righteous about their deeds. And Paul is encouraging Timothy and us that um, a man of God is to pursue righteousness, He is to be righteous, faithful, just, and fair in his dealings with the people. You see, righteousness is is doing right on the outside, but then he goes further, and godliness is being right on the inside. We are to pursue being right on the inside. That is our position with God so that our motives, our heart, our reason for doing what we do reflects the God who saves us. We are to pursue being right on the inside. Pursuing godliness daily. We are searching our own motives, our heart, and our soul, right, for the idols that it is creating so that we can tear those down and put God in his proper place in our hearts. And so he says, pursuing godliness. Pursuing godliness is looking at what you do and seeing that, is is this praising God? Is this giving him glory? Is it, or is it for selfish gain? You see, these false teachers were seeking their own glory, right? They were making gods unto themselves, worshiping their wealth and their gain and their position, fame and power instead of God. And so we are called to pursue righteousness and godliness, to pursue the, the doing of right actions that bring God glory and cultivating our hearts rightly to worship God and give him glory. And so we pursue righteousness and godliness. We also see that that men of God are to pursue faith and love. These are a familiar refrain, right, if you've read Paul. He always, faith and hope and love, a familiar refrain. They frequently appear in his letter. But what he's, he's getting at here, faith here, is this idea of confidently trusting in God for literally everything. We were, we were discussing this this weekend at our house. Um, faith is trusting the unseen God, that he can do what we cannot do. He can do the impossible. We are to daily, moment by moment, put our hope and our trust and our lives in God's hands. In the end of this section, Paul breaks into song, right, and he calls him, our sovereign king and Lord of lords, the only sovereign Lord. And we are to put our trust in him daily, moment by moment, to faithfully trust him. And to pursue love is to be selfless and to willingly sacrifice yourself and all that is important to you for the sake of Christ. You see, these were not traits portrayed again by these false teachers. Instead of trusting in God, they trusted in themselves, right? And they gloried and and confused godliness with the gain they made personally. They were not seeking after God, but over wealth and privilege and fame. 
They trusted in money more than God, that it would solve their problems. They did not selflessly love, but instead they were selfishly seeking after their own based on the sacrifices of others. And so we see righteousness and godliness, faith and love, but also steadfastness and gentleness. We are to pursue daily steadfastness and gentleness. Pursuing steadfastness is this idea of pursuing endurance. A man of God is to be steadfast and endure, right? Whether that is the trying times they live in, the difficulties or troubles they face, the persecution, the suffering, the hardships. A steadfast man of God endures because his his hope is not in the things that are happening, but in the God above. And pursuing gentleness is, is uh, actually the pursuit of, of meekness, of humility, of the way we interact with others. These false teachers, you see, are not being gentle nor meek. Instead, they are coarse and vulgar and slanderous. If steadfastness is how we are to be in every situation, then gentleness is how we are to interact with people in those events. So it is steadfastly approaching um, the encounter and gently approaching people. We are to be pursuing these things. And so you have, you have these things laid out that we are to pursue, right? And this isn't some secret pill, some quick fix. This isn't a sermon entitled Six Ways to Find Righteousness Today. You know, this is, this is uh, not, not some quick fix to give you, but it is incredibly clear is it not? You are called, as, as men and women of God, you are called to flee like a fugitive, to daily be running as fast as you can away from sinfulness, right? Away from the love of money and all the sinful vices and pitfalls that go with it that he was just talking about. And instead, you are to be running fast after, in pursuit of, hard pursuit of, and after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and humility, endurance. But Paul doesn't stop there, right? Okay, so flee and pursue. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look on in verse 12. He says that a man of God knows what he is running from, right, fleeing from. He knows who and what he is following after, and he also knows who and what he is fighting for. He goes on and says, fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. Not only are we to flee from sin and pursue righteousness, but we are to fight for and contend for truth. We are to be fighters, right? Not fighters of men for earthly powers, as was the lie of these false teachers. Rather, the man of God described here is to be a a prize fighter, right? The word could be fight or contend or to contest with. You could apply that to either military contest or to some sort of sporting event like like running. And in fact, when this word occurs again in the, the next letter to Timothy, he makes clear, Paul is describing himself, and he says that I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. And so it's this idea of ongoing contesting. 
We are to fight. The man of God described here is a prize fighter, a wrestler, a soldier, a warrior, a contender for truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, a good soldier shares in the suffering of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. See, understand, Christ Church, if, if we battle against a kingdom of darkness for truth, because we, we battle against a kingdom of darkness because we aim to please the one who enlisted us, namely Christ Jesus. We fight for and are to fight for the truth that salvation comes through him alone. We must wage war against the enemy that seeks to dethrone God in our hearts and in our lives because if we don't believe that God and Jesus Christ are enough, then we will not flee from sin. We will not pursue righteousness and we will not share the truth of who Christ is with the world. We are to fight for truth because when we forsake truth, we believe the lies and instead put ourselves on the throne of God. The man of God is to fight for truth, he goes on to say, because he has made the good confession of truth, that Christ is, as Acts says, the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or as Paul says in a few verses um, later, that, that Christ is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. So look back again at 12 and 13. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. You see what's happening here is Timothy is and we are too in turn. We are called to fight the good fight of the faith because having confessed in Christ Jesus as Lord and then we publicly, he, uh, Timothy publicly commits himself to do battle over these eternal issues. As long as he lives, as long as we live, we are to fight the good fight of the faith. It is ongoing, continual. As Spurgeon says, that we are to fight for the souls of men against the world, the flesh, and the devil, against the powers of the kingdom of darkness. Remember earlier, Paul reminds Timothy also to be sober-minded. And this is why, right? This is a, a sobering thought that we must daily battle against darkness, but we also rejoice because we do not battle alone, but we battle with him who dwells in unapproachable light. And also we are called to take hold of truth. He says take hold. Uh, take hold here is the same word uh, used when, when Christ swiftly and surely pulls a, a sinking Peter from the water, right? When he took his eyes off, off Christ and he began to sink. It's this same action. Uh, God or, or Jesus laid hold of Peter. And he's saying here that we are to take hold of the eternal life to which we were called. 
Another vivid word picture, right? He laid hold of Peter with purpose and urgency and with force to secure Peter before he fell in. And that's the kind of violent action that we are called to, right? To daily lay hold of, to grab hold of the truth of the eternal life to which we have been called. And so we are moved by it and therefore we fight for it, right? It is a taking hold of the eternal life to which we are called so that we daily take hold violently so that we are ready to fight for these things. And so what you see Paul is laying out, he says, we are uh, to be men of God who are marked by what we flee from, what we follow after, and what we take hold of and fight for. So in the closing moments of this letter to Timothy, Paul reminds his true child of, in, in the faith to be a man of God. Christian life for this young pastor in Ephesus was, one of, was to be one of, of action. And we are to, in turn, be people of action. We must flee sinfulness and evil. We must pursue what is good. We must fight the good fight of the faith proclaiming the truth of who Christ is and what we ha he has done for us to lay hold of the eternal life to which we are called. And this text is not isolated to Timothy. Like I said, it's echoed throughout Scripture. If you look at Romans 12, 9 through 13, Paul says it in this way, Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Out one, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Or in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, right? It is set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. So you see it over and over again in Scripture, and the list could go on and, and does go on in my notes, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go there. But on and on it goes. So much of Scripture calls us to actually walk in the light of Christ Jesus instead of sitting in the darkness out of which we have been called. One more verse to encourage you, 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you, he says. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever practices sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this reason, the Son of God appeared. It was to destroy the work of the devil. And he says this, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Brothers and sisters, more, more words would not change the simple message. The call is to Christian activity, right? So the question falls to you. Do you flee sin? So many of us spend so long lamenting the struggle with sin in our complacency for it. We have yet to behave like a fugitive on the run from it. And so the call is to, like a fugitive, flee from sin. 
And are you running fast after? Are you pursuing hard after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness, steadfastness and gentleness? The fact is, guys, that many of us spend more time each day looking into a bathroom mirror, perfecting personal cleanliness than we do opening our Bible in front of our Bible seeking after personal holiness. It's a plain fact. It's not my line, but I liked it so well I stole it. We who have confessed Christ Jesus as Lord are called to action, right? To flee sin and to pursue righteousness. To take hold of the eternal life to which we have been called. To fight the good fight of the faith because as Paul concludes with this thought, because Christ Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, the only blessed and only sovereign, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or heard, to him be glory and honor forever and ever. So that is the call. It is simple and is plain for those who are in Christ. Now, if you are not in Christ and you are looking from the outside in, understand that this is not the, heart, uh, the, the cart before the horse, right? You cannot pursue righteousness without first having Christ. So it is the man of God who does these things, not the things that make the man of God. And so if you have not and do not know him, he is calling. But if we do know him, let us fight each day. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be a people of action, not complacent in sin, or in selfishness, but that we would daily flee from sin, that we would set our mind on things above and seek after and pursue after righteousness that comes from you that we would resist the evil one and fight the good fight of the faith, that we would lay hold of the eternal life to which we have been called, and that we would hold it surely. Let us cling to that truth and run hard after you. It's in your name we pray.